So now we're coming to the final panel uh, of our first day. And uh, this is the last, but definitely not the least. Uh, we have with us, the topic itself is a dynamite topic. It's about geopolitics, world trade and shipping. And we have with us two industry captains uh, to discuss and debate this issue. And uh, we have an expert moderator uh, in the person of Nicholas Brown, Brand and Communications Director of Marine and Offshore of uh, Bureau Veritas. So Thanasi and John, uh, thank you very much for being with us. Um, it's an absolutely tremendous privilege to have captains like yourself uh, on this panel. And without any more delay, I will turn it over to Nicholas to introduce you and uh, take over the, uh, the discussion. Thank you very much again to both of you. And thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Nicholas. Oh, Nicholas, thank you very much for uh, organizing <laughs> yet again another fantastic event. Um, and, and it's wonderful to be here. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all our participants uh, today. Um, it's appropriate that we are in Greece on Zoom at any rate, to talk about geopolitics, world trade and shipping. Shipping's as old as geopolitics and who is more important to shipping than Greek ship owners? So we're grappling with a climate emergency that's driving an energy transition. We have growing tensions between China and the United States and other countries. Questions lie elsewhere over the role of Russia, for example. The threat of regionalization of shipping regulation has come to something of a crunch with the confirmation that the EU will involve shipping in a planned European emissions trading scheme. And for less than nine months now, is it only nine months? The world has been grappling with a, a global health pandemic. Um, so what is happening now and what might happen next to shape the world of shipping? What is the role of sh the ship owner today and tomorrow? And what sort of geopolitical landscape is gonna be good for our industry, good for shipping? So today we have, as Nicholas has said, two very distinguished and successful Greek principals here to talk with us about geopolitics, trade and shipping. They need no introduction. John Hadjipateris is in New York. Good morning, John. It's still quite early for you. And Tanasi, a very good afternoon to you in Athens. Um, you. My job, good morning, good afternoon. My, my job is simply to try and encourage you to talk. Um, and Nicholas and Annie are insistent, let you know when unfortunately <laughs> it will be time to stop. Of course, you can't go to a shipping conference these days without hearing that ships move 85 to 90% of everything and that the world would stop spinning without those ships. All true, of course. Ships are the servants and enablers of world trade. And without ships, there would be very little trade and maybe, maybe happily, very little geopolitics. Luckily for the world, there are plenty of ships, but it does mean that we have to deal with the geopolitics. So if we start by looking at the big picture, the global landscape, world trade, trade wars and friction, the US and China, Chinese demand and production, Russian relations and a pandemic. China looms large over everything shipping related, commodity demand, exports of manufactured goods and shipbuilding. China's Hudong Shonghua shipyard last month delivered the world's largest LNG, LNG fueled ship with an 18,600 cubic meter uh, capacity Mark III membrane bunker tank, a real world first. The CMA Jacques Sade, which has now been laden with the largest intake of boxes ever in history, is now heading west. 
So that's an example, you know, just one recent example of how China continues to be a key factor in shipping. Will China keep driving shipping markets? We read this week that Chinese coal importers are being discouraged from importing Australian coal. And last week I heard on the radio it said that while issues related to countries like Russia might affect the political weather, China is changing the geopolitical climate. So if I'm stating the obvious, what is the big picture now for ship owners? Can I start with you, Tanasi? You know, what, what worries you most and, and what are you optimistic about at the moment in the context of, of that landscape that we're facing today? Uh, first of all, I, was, I wish to thank uh, Nicolas Bornozis for his kind invitation to join this interesting panel, uh, which is also food for thought for, for all of us, except the pleasure of our participation. Uh, the very good company of you and my old friend uh, John Kajipateras. It's very pleasant to see John because I haven't seen him for some time. And we were together at school and also in London. We had the chance to see each other more. So that's a very good aspect of uh, of this uh, function of today. Now, uh, some of the things I will, my short analysis here is well-known, the summary of well-known uh, facts of uh, recent times, uh, globalization of trade and the world economy benefited uh, China mostly. And this of course has ensured in the tremendous growth of the Chinese economy between 2003 and 2008 to remember the very good times for shipping. We in the shipping business enjoyed a booming trade market for tankers and bulk carriers alike. That was a once in a lifetime experience for a ship owner of my age. Maybe some of uh, my younger colleagues will be able to enjoy another time this kind of uh, booming times, but uh, I'm 50 years in shipping and that was the best ever period by far. Uh, then came the credit crisis in 2008, affecting the US and the European economies. It was evident uh, that the manufacturing jobs had now shifted to China and East Asia, creating large-scale unemployment in the West. In our decade, after 2010, let's say, voters in Western countries, disillusioned with their politicians, started voting populist leaders to mention the UK, Italy, and USA, among others. <clears throat> there have, since there has been a trend in the West for their populist governments to adopt protectionist policies to allegedly protect manufacturing jobs. In shipping in 2017, after a long crisis, things were looking up. We were experiencing improved uh, freight rates, especially in dry bulk. The world uh, economies were working, were growing in tandem, you know, both the US and the China economy was growing and also Europe was growing. The interest rates were ultra low and the omens were very good for our industry. Then suddenly in 2018, President Trump put tariffs to Chinese import goods with China retaliating, imposing tariffs on U.S. imports. This created havoc and uncertainty in world trade. The growth of world trade stagnated, although these U.S. protective policies uh, little affected the Chinese economic growth. Since then, the various 
changes for worse or for better in US-China relationship have created an unwanted volatility in our industry. President Trump was trying to protect US manufacturing jobs, but there is no doubt that his protectionist policy have not increased employment in the US in the so-called Rust Belt states. These protectionist policies of Western governments are short-sighted. I believe globalization trends will prevail as normal and the West should find other ways to compete with China. I, Greek shipping, I should say European shipping, is a good example of an industry where we the West are competitive. Uh, for the last tumultuous, let's say, 20 years, uh, Greek shipping has been growing and has been serving well the US, Europe, and China alike. So this is my introduction, if you want, about the geopolitical uh, uh, picture of today. Maybe John can take over. And... Yeah, Tanasi, th thank you very much. Over to you, John. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nicholas Voronoisi. Thank you, Nick, Nick for um, uh, uh, the introduction. Um, I'm honored to be on your panel, and I'm delighted to be, and honored to be sharing it with uh, um, a titan uh, of a friend, <laughs> Thanasis. Um, and um, I, I echo what, what Tanashi said. Basically, I, I, um, the, the, the timeline is, 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 uh, has brought us to, to a, a situation where I think there's a, a, a very um, material change happening, which has been accelerated by these, these policies of uh, the trade war. Uh, and the, the material change, I think, in, in, in China is basically that it's accelerating its, its um, transformation into a consuming economy from a, um, from a uh, producing economy. So, so th this, this perhaps in the short term results in less, less um, world trade, but I think ultimately uh, that the, the China will, will, will again be, it will, it still, it will continue to be the driving um, uh, force for shipping and, and world trade. It was the producer of the world's goods and, and uh, to a large extent still is and the biggest exporter, importer of raw materials, exporter of finished goods. It's changing now. And I think that um, China will become a big consuming country. Its economy at some point will overtake um, the, the, the U.S. economy become the biggest, the biggest, but it will continue to drive world trade um, and, and um, both, both um, regionally and, and internationally. And there'll be a place um, for Greek shipping as, so long as Greek shipping can continue to, 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 be, to, to, to keep its competitive and, and its um, uh, entrepreneurial spirit and <laughs> commitment which has done so quite resiliently now for a few thousand years. So um, hopefully that, and, and uh, um, this, is, this is where I think I would, I, I would sort of uh, focus for the future, for, for the more immediate um, uh, um, consequences of what's happening 
uh, I think it's it's very difficult to 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 make a, a prediction because we have the an election coming, um, and 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 um, uh, you know who knows. <laughs> And who knows? But it, it doesn't affect the future. I do, they, 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 the medium and long term is the same story. The geo, geopolitics, I think, is, is solid. I mean, we have we have uh, uh, prospects for development in the in um, in Southeast Asia, improving in uh, Africa, um, and and as I said, China continuing to establish itself in in a, a, as, as a dominant sort of. Uh, if not the dominant economy in the world. Okay, well, thank thank you both very much for that. And, and John, that's you know that's a, a very optimistic uh, tone. Now, um, can we can we move on to the energy transition uh, as perhaps the biggest geopolitical issue we face now in the shipping industry? Um, Clarkson's last week uh, was telling me in its Shipping Intelligence Weekly that. The industry currently produces about 800 million tons of CO2. Uh, well, it, it will be expected to produce 800 million tons this year, something like 2.3% of global emissions. Um, and of course, we know shipping remains the most CO2 efficient mode of moving uh, raw materials and goods, three times more than rail, nine times than truck. Um, and we have reduced emissions by 20% since 2008. The prospect now though, um, and that improvement has been based on partly slower speeds and partly by new eco ships. Um, but further radical reductions are being demanded. Uh, and this is presenting significant challenges for stakeholders. Um, previous, uh, a previous panel was you know, looking at this from a ship owner perspective. Do you think um, you know, th there's any evidence that shipping is decreasing its carbon intensity slower than other transport modes? Um, you know, I can still buy a diesel car in theory, whether I want to or not is another matter. Um, should I be able to, you know, should people be able to, to buy diesel ships still? Um, yesterday in London, there were significant demonstrations outside the IMO and leading shipping related embassies demanding that shipping cleans up its mess. Is, is perhaps, you know, part of the problem for shipping that it's, it's not incapable of change or, or it's not changing and it's not that it's not going to change. But it's maybe poorly understood and poorly targeted and unfairly targeted as an irresponsible polluter. Um, and, and do you think, from a global economic and political perspective, uh, you know that that affects shipping? Um, I mean, there's no doubt the energy transition will have a profound implication for our industry. Um, how how do you think we should be preparing as an industry for a more sustainable uh, future? Um, perhaps, John. You, you might want to go first. Sure. So there's a lot of lot packed in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, um, in terms of uh, the industry being slow or or ineffective, I, I, I don't, I can't imagine, I can't, I don't know for a fact, but I imagine there's no other industry that has made as dramatic a change in its um, uh, profile of songs as, as uh, the shipping industry did this year. I mean, we, to go from a three and a half percent to fuel to a, a sulfur content to 0.5, you know, whether it was right or not, or how it happened, uh, may, you, you can question, et cetera. But the fact is, 
that that is a huge move by uh, by the whole industry taken by um, through the uh, an industry body um, and and has been perfectly successful so far I mean you know I mean, a lot of complaints and but it happened so I think that initiative is is we sh shipping should be should be um, uh, congratulated and not and not criticized for being too slow. It, it's ludicrous to call it without, with with that, with that sort of thing having taken place. Um, so that's that, but that's happened, and now we're looking forward. And the percentage of emissions that you quoted um, it is, of course, while the planes are flying. Right now, I imagine that would be quite quite a bit higher because there's so much less air traffic as a percentage. But but the the um it, it it's 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 a freight rate freight train coming the climate change discussion and 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 obviously um the the the, the moves to to go to a carbon uh, neutral and a carbon free sort of environment and and it's inevitable so i think the the sooner we everybody embraces it and starts to to sort of contribute to how we manage that, um, the better. Uh, so I think that, I think that um, we shouldn't let, as Greeks, my feeling is that we shouldn't let other um, uh, uh, areas and countries uh, take the initiative and run with this ball um, uh, without, without uh, the input that we, we, have, we could have, which, would, which should be very valuable. Um, but that means we have to be on board and, and accept that the change will happen. So as, as it happens today, uh, there was an announcement that the um, first um, LPG um, uh, fueled uh, ship uh, was, was uh, uh, started, started its sea trials. And she, was, she, was, she would belong to uh, uh, our main competitor, BW Shipping. And uh, she was, it was a retrofit. Uh, and so, so they opted to retrofit instead of building and they have a program to do more. Um, and and, um, uh, and, and uh, so it's, and it's a, you know, it's a way, it's one of the ways in which we can see significant reductions um, is for that. But there, of course, there's a LNG as fuel for us being, being carriers of LPG uh, LPG makes sense, and and I think it does for for other situations as well. Um, so uh, there's that, um, and uh, uh, it's also um, encouraging to see charters are in the game. I mean, they've taken the initiative um, to 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 measure the 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 emissions of their own uh, activity. When it comes to shipping, and I think that um, it's important to have them on board and and participating in in in, in this because uh, hopefully, uh, uh, for once, they will make a bigger contribution, <laughs> and it won't and the whole weight of it all won't fall on the ship owners' um, uh, shoulders. Uh, but this is this is what I'd like to say. Thanks, John. Yes, I mean, you mentioned there the Sea Cargo um, Charter, I think, um, joining the banks, 
uh, with their Poseidon principles initiatives, yeah. you know, looking to measure emissions from shipping. Tanasi, can, can you share your perspective on this energy transition challenge? Yeah, I would make the point when we had our private discussions that I think the shipping is by far the least uh, pollutant transportation industry. I think in your statistic here, shipping is point for two and a half percent of pollution of uh, exhaust uh, gas in the world uh, versus uh, 17 and a half percent for trucks and uh, trains, for example. Uh, coincidentally, uh, their fuel is uh, gas oil. And uh, then uh, aviation is heavily polluting uh, the air over cities with, uh, due to the frequent uh, air traveling, you know, the planes, uh, for example, Heathrow Airport uh, uh, landing every half a minute or <laughs> every one minute. Of course, this has reduced, as John said, uh, because of the present problems concerning uh, aviation, but certainly is a heavy pollutant uh, over cities and over land. Uh, in our case, shipping, uh, very little pollution uh, happens in, uh, in port. Uh, most of the two and a half percent pollution happens in the ocean, in the open air. So it's more dispersed. Uh, I think uh, we have discussed, as John pointed out, uh, the very big progress made by shipping, although it's the least regulated of transportation industries by adopting the half percent uh, sulfur consent uh, fuel by uh, devising, uh, devising very economical engines where we probably halved over the last uh, 30 years uh, fuel consumption of ships, it's halved. Uh, design, which is the important point. Uh, I think uh, the IMO policies uh, with respect to fuel propulsion, uh, the recent policies, in my opinion, uh, were wrong. Uh, maybe this was not the IMO problem, but maybe because of the pressure of uh, national governments and oil companies and systems and keeping the cost down or uh, disposing of the heavy fuel, uh, which is, uh, say, um, there was uh, in IMO a compromise uh, adopting uh, low sulfur fuel oil of half percent, which is still heavy, still polluting and uh, open scrubber fitted vessels. In my opinion, a very clean measure would have been for all ships to burn gasoil, same as uh, trains and heavy trucks uh, at land. Uh, and this would reduce uh, shipping pollution to, and I suppose that uh, depending on the market conditions, the extra cost uh, the, would be passed on to the consumers and to the charterer. After all, society and the world want uh, cleaner seas and cleaner air, they should pay for that. Uh, for the time being, though, there were these decisions, uh, and let's live with our present options for ships to burn LSFO, which is a, which is a measure in the, half measure in the right direction. And for course, for our colleagues who fit the scrubbers, uh, they, still have, uh, they must have time to pay off their investments. 
So because we, we can fair to, to adopt gasoil in two or three years and you know this investment to go to go. Uh, now for LNG, which is a new clean clean fuel, uh, I suppose it's more suitable for gas carriers. Anasi, sorry to interrupt you. Can you speak a bit louder? Yeah. Can you speak a bit louder, please? Okay. Uh, generally, uh, LNG as fuel is suitable for gas carriers, containers, and passenger ships. Not so for tankers and bulkers with no uh, regular uh, port schedule. Uh, there's a lot of talk about hydrogen being the ship's fuel in the future when it becomes an economical option, maybe uh, after uh, 2050. So that is uh, the points about the cleaner fuels and uh, how we can reduce uh, the uh, pollution at sea. Thank you, Tanasi. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I completely agree with your point on uh, where LNG is at the moment. Um, and of course, it would be ironical if we see lots of LNG-fueled oil tankers, you know, moving around the world. Um, but, but that does seem to be, you know, the main available source of fuel. And, and with bunkering capacity growing, do you, do you think that the Greek market, you know, could start investing significantly in LNG-fueled fuel bulkers, for example, because it's, you know, it's really the only available option now. And I, I think there, you know, there's quite a wide body of experts that feel it's the, it's the option that will see us through to 2030 and maybe 2040 in terms of the IMO CO2 reduction targets. Um, clearly, there's not much ordering going on at the moment, partly due to regulatory uncertainty, as well as the market. Um, but, but can you see the, the, the global bulker and tanker community perhaps changing you know, their mind on LNG and, and investing heavily in, in the, the near future? In, uh, for, for bulkers and uh, tankers who are tram ships, which are tram ships and uh, mm. have uh, a varied trade, uh, I think it's very difficult to have uh, LNG bunkering facilities in all the ports where we bunker. It's a very expensive exercise and I don't know how easy it is and it must be very costly, uh, especially now that we see that the price of oil for the future may be a bit cheaper. I mean, uh, crude oil or uh, fuel oil today is, is the cheapest fuel to, to run ships. And uh, uh, for LNG, I think the biggest cost is having banking terminals. I, 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 I do not see that the Greek owners will order not even Kamsarmak ships, uh, which will be fueled uh, with LNG. Uh, as, as I said, uh, it's more suitable for uh, LNG vessels who can burn from the cargo, uh, for passenger ships definitely, who have a regular uh, uh, schedule of ports, and uh, for rural uh, uh, ships and containers, again, who, who run between the regular ports. Uh, but not for uh, tram ships, where the, uh, of course, you know, for for the, to to for VLCCs, we usually bunkering in uh, Singapore and Fujairah. Okay, you can have uh, bunker facilities for LNG in this port, and that should cover uh, VLCCs. But for supermaxes and uh, bulk carriers, uh, 
running between uh, I don't know, Argentina and uh, the Middle East or whatever, I, I, I don't see this as a, as a possibility for the next 20 years at least. Yes, and that's certainly, you know, the track record so far, as you say, it's ferries um, and container ships that, that are mainly, you know, switching to LNG as fuel uh, to date. Um, what about what about new ships of the future? You know, do do either of you think that um, you know we're soon going to have uh, uh, an interest in in a market for ships that carry ammonia or or hydrogen gas ships? I saw GTT was in the news for acquiring a hydro, hydrogen related company. Um, I mean, presumably that that's still going to be some way off. Um, but do you see new new trades emerging at, at all in in the shipping sector? Well, I think uh, I think they're coming, but I'm I don't know what they are right now. Uh, uh, and uh, LNG, apart apart from the fact that it, it like Anasi said, it's it, for a tramp operation, you need an infrastructure which is not envisaged. But um, apart from that, is also stopgap. You 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 said it might take us to 2030, 2040. Well, if you build a ship today, you'll it'll be five years old in 2030. By the time you know, if you take by the time you order, you take delivery, etc. So, so it does. It's not. It, it appears to be not a solution anyway, from a point of view of um, getting to the to the um, zero, getting to zero, so called. Mm. So, so the the those solutions are yet to be found, right? I mean, it's it, and even the the talk of hydrogen, um, hydrogen, of course, is perfectly. <laughs> the perfect fuel, but to produce it is not clean. So at the moment, so people are talking about green hydrogen. Can you get green hydrogen? There's still technology that has to evolve and, 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 and is, is in um, nascent form, I, th I think now, but we should follow a lot of these. Uh, and I was going to say in our concluding remarks that I think that um, for the future, people have these opportunities to kind of um, follow uh, the, 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 some of these trends in different directions and, 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 and um, achieve um, the, the, the carbon um, uh, objectives together with growth in, 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 um, in uh, uh, activity, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, and that seems to be one of the themes in the discussion around sustainability is can we be sustainable and grow? Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess time's going to tell, but I, I take it that you, you firmly believe that growth can still be part of a, a more sustainable society. Mm, I, I believe that very firmly, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the growth uh, is that, that a sustainable society, actually, if you're looking forward a bit, is only uh, it, it mutually <laughs> they're not they're mutually um, inclusive. You have to have uh, sustainability to have long-term growth and vice versa. Vice mm -hmm. versa. Okay. Well, thank 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 you for that. Should we should we move on to um, digital issues and and diversity and inclusion? I know, John, you know, particularly you wanted to talk about the 50% of the population that have been so far not, not used effectively enough by the shipping industry, that is women, 
Um, do you do you want to comment on that? Well, you said it. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. Sorry. And uh, yeah, no, no, it's good. I mean, that that is my my thesis is that that. Uh, but I don't really have the answers in our in our firm. We are trying to 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 uh, focus on on um, on creating uh, opportunities uh, for women and and for uh, to to work on on ships. Uh, I think um, shore side, our industry is in in terms of um, um, in numbers is quite good in terms of uh, offering uh, you know equal opportunity. Uh, but perhaps in terms of um, promotion, etc., we still need uh, work to do. In fact, probably we need a lot of work to do <laughs> uh, to get more women at the, at the higher level, higher levels. But um, uh, at sea, it's it's uh, um, I think because with the change of working conditions, with the um, shortening of the contracts, uh, with um, that uh, the, the, the opportunity the, the, there's there aren't jobs at sea now that can be done by men and not women. Um, so it is it, it's uh, silly for ship owners to overlook uh, a, a labor force uh, like that. Um, uh, as far as um, so I think that we need some positive uh, you know, they, we, we cannot be passive to, to let this thing happen and, and people have to take an initiative and, and, and push it. Um, and um, um, as far as uh, the other thing, you mentioned di digitalization and all that. I mean, that provides um, huge opportunities, I think, for um, uh, assisting in our efficiency uh, and hence, you know, bottom line, the profitability. And the profitability in this case is aligned totally with, with um, uh, um, emissions. <laughs> as, you, as you reduce emissions, as you increase your efficiency, you reduce your consumption, you also reduce your efficiency. So in, in the, the, the biggest areas where I see digitalization now um, uh, helping in that respect, are are in optimization, in, uh, um, in terms of uh, voyage planning, um, you know, hull cleaning, you know, propeller polishing, all these things that, that uh, basically make make your your voyage more efficient. Uh, in terms of um, uh, cargo operation, trim, all this, all this. Uh, uh, data we are able to collect now from directly from from the ships and and uh, store and calculate and manipulate <laughs> if uh, the, the trend of is to to, 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 to to analyze it in a in a way which is which is uh, useful and um, and will will I believe help the bottom line and help the environment at the same time um, we discussed the other day when we, when the three of us were talking also about, about um, predictive and prevent, preventive maintenance, um, and, uh, engine performance and all these things, I think uh, are major developments and, and positive developments. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Tanessi, can I, can I bring you in? D digitalization and diversity? Yeah. Uh, digitalization has uh, proven its value for shipping over the last 30 years. 
in shipbuilding, where ship design has become uh, more lean <coughs> and has uh, more economical in ships handling and safer ships handling and navigation, where we now have safer ships due to sophisticated navigational equipment. Uh, ships management is now to a great extent digitalized. Practically all departments in technical, we have a planned maintenance system and the system monitoring ships from a distance, uh, accounting uh, uh, and all this. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, a, a theoretical, uh, if you want a, a theoretical example <coughs> would be that one could manage uh, a ship from on board. I mean, one uh, one's crew, if expert enough, could uh, uh, order uh, uh, necessary spares and uh, supplies and stores, uh, organize uh, dry dockings, and so on. Also, maybe you another idea is uh, if there are uh, problems from where you can operate uh, your ship and have a ship's management office, you could have it. Uh, on uh, offshore on a ship, you know, so <laughs> no man's land, so to speak, you can yeah. run your ship from offshore. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, from uh, an old passenger ship to whatever. And of course, people will have to move to land from somewhere. Uh, anyway, I think uh, we have seen that there was a big progress in, uh, in all this. Now, for, uh, for the question of employing. Uh, ladies on ship, uh, our experience is uh, that uh, uh, there's not so much uh, supply of uh, lady officer uh, because it's not uh, a very suitable uh, uh, job for, for ladies who are planning to raise a family, children. And uh, there are, uh, I suppose, there are enough uh, men to, to man ships and there are enough jobs for, for ladies who, who, who have to run a family at the same time. Uh, we have been making exceptions now uh, in employing some uh, uh, lady cadets. Uh, one, because we had, uh, because of the uh, Greek uh, unemployment problem during the last 10 years, we employed more Greek cadets on the ship, more than necessary. And we had uh, some uh, lady candidates who were very keen uh, to, to sail, uh, to go on board ships, either for uh, reasons, you know, they had to earn a livelihood, uh, or some of them had a genuine uh, love for the sea. We also uh, have initiated uh, in the office, we are training some lady superintendents, which is again a new thing because uh, uh, usually, again, uh, most superintendents job because of the traveling, extensive traveling required, uh, mostly are men. Uh, so we see some Greek uh, ladies who want to, to, and some of them are quite good as well. Uh, but well, generally speaking, for Trump ships, I would say that it's not uh, a job for ladies. I mean, uh, they could... Uh, uh, work on passenger ships, uh, perhaps cruise ships, but especially passenger ships with a regular sailing into and out of port near to their families. Well, thank you for that. I, I know certainly I, I have experience of plenty of powerful women in Greek shipping, you know, not least Payet Paleologu, 
who, who runs our operation in, in the Hellenic and Black Sea area out of Greece, I think. She, you know, cut her teeth as a superintendent and, you know, managed extensive steel renewals in Chinese shipyards. Um, and, and, you know, it's good to see there are increasing numbers of um, female colleagues, certainly, you know, in my workplace and um, the direction of travel, you know, seems to be to, to be good in the industry. Um, so let's hope we continue to to make the most of that 50% um, of the, the world's population who have so far been underutilized by shipping, perhaps. Um, if we can move on, because we're, we're nearly out of time, just finally, you know, talking about Greek shipping um, at the forefront of global trade, which I think is one of the conference themes. How, how do you see the future opportunities and challenges for ship owners in Greece, for your sons and daughters, you know, in the world of today and tomorrow? We've, we've had a comment in from John Trifidis, um, Yasu Yanni, um, out there. Greek shipping from the days of Ottoman rule through the Cold War has benefited from the neutrality of cross-trading and open registries, efficiently transporting foodstuff and energy between camps. Is this background of global trade flows undermined by politically motivated sanctions and unilateral regulation? <laughs> you know, ironically, in the past, um, it, 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 these uh, attempts to, to regulate or to inhibit free trade created opportunities for um, some people. In, in uh, historically, you know, the, the uh, blockade of France uh, made a lot of ship owners very rich. And, and <laughs> so, but uh, of course, uh, in the long term, we need, we need, we need um, free, free passage to do, to have, to have uh, uh, free trade for, for, for countries like Greece, where, you know, we're not, not, um, we're not serving our own country. Um, and I, I don't I don't think going forward that there is that we sh we can expect anything more turbulent or or um, than than we have in the past. I don't see the next few hundred years as being as being very different in terms of uh, um, free trade and uh, passage, etc. Right. Okay. Thank you, John. Tanasi, any, any thoughts on? The future for Greek shipping? Yes, uh, as I said before, uh, Greek shipping is uh, serving the West. Regrettably, there are no longer big commercial fleets in uh, much bigger countries like the USA, the United Kingdom, uh, and Russia. Other national uh, fleets, including the German uh, fleet, has shrink. The Greek uh, commercial fleet is 50% uh, of the European Union total fleet. Uh, I think the European umbrella, I hope, will be an advantage in the future for Greek shipping, although there may be some uh, debate among colleagues about that who don't want the European Union interference, including the CO2 fines or whatever. Uh, however, uh, apart from geopolitics, what makes me optimistic for the future is the know-how, the flexibility, and the adaptability of Greek ship owners. Uh, the long tradition of 3,000 years of history is an indication of the continuity of Greek commercial shipping for many years to come. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to finish on, Tanasi. Thank, thank you very, very much to both of you. It's been a pleasure and, and a sincere honor to be able to 
um, listen to you talk. Um, we've got one final comment out from the floor that may help as well. Congratulations to you both. Um, Esther Mitzi from Seaprail's Yachting is so proud to have men like you in our industry. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's, been, it's been a great pleasure to be with you today. So thank you very much. And um, thank you very much, Nicholas, for organizing this. I'll, I'll hand it back to you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Tanasi. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. Very good company and a very interesting discussion. And thank you very much for coordinating all this and for your very good questions. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on running a digital conference like this. Yeah. It's a, you know, and a, a, another example of adaptability. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And really thank you to both. Um, for being with us and of course to Nicholas. This has been a super uh, discussion and uh, we could not end uh, the first day on a better note. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nicholas. All the best. Eh? Thank, thank you. you. Thank All you. the best thank to you. you. All the best. Bye, John. Congratulations Bye, for organizing digital conferences yeah. Yeah. in these but difficult I, times. You know, I actually, as we have been discussing, we are not running webinars. We're running a real conference. And running a real conference, it's, it's different. And uh, thank you so much for being on board. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be well. Bye-bye.